Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, now available at all your finest retailers. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. On today's episode, our first episode of the new year, we're going to be heading to the pub and taking care of all the beer news, and there was a lot of beer news while we were off. And then we're going to go into the brewery, talk about some of the things that we're doing in the brewery, some new ingredients you can find, and also talking a little bit about our brewery's resolutions before we head over to the lounge. And, well, this time we're going to be tasting some beer. And we're going to walk you through what we get, what we know, and what we think ultimately of these projects. So it's beer clock. It's time to go. Let's do this thing. But before we do, please take a listen to these messages from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. And by you, our listeners, go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Thank you all for sticking around, and we're going to kick it off here with a few announcements. First from Mr. Drew. Yeah, and our first announcement is, don't forget, you can go back and you can check out the last episode of The Brew Files, which is all about brown ales, when Denny and I talked to my homebrew club about it. So sit back and plug into your ear holes and enjoy some brown beer. Yeah, man, I love brown ale. It's going to be a comeback, kid. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. We also want to let you know that uh, due to the situation in the world at the moment the brew your own boot camps this year are online and we're going to be doing one april 9th 2021 from 1 p.m to 5 p.m eastern on homebrew experiments if you're interested in joining us for four hours worth of talking about homebrew experimentation you can sign up by going to byo.com slash bootcamps get in there sign it up and we'll hope to see you there and of course don't forget you can look and see other people's boot camps that are going on as well and they're spread out over time so you have lots of opportunity to learn from lots of very knowledgeable people and then us yeah that's right us too and don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in apple Podcasts. you can click the aha amazon brewers friends or byo links on the website and by going to patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause which for this part of the year and it's going to be extended is it is world central kitchen a great organization started by chef jose andres 
that uh, helps people in need by providing meals. And the really cool part is that these meals are done through local restaurants and food vendors. So the money that they raise goes to your local food people, and they get to give it out to people in need. And it is just a great organization. And we're doing something a little bit different because we got started a little bit late on it, and there's still a great, great need for this kind of service. So we're going to be running this for another six months. So it'll be going through the end of June. And the other thing that we're doing is we're going to match whatever money you guys donate. So we'll be able to give them twice as much. So please go to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Click on the Patreon link. Give whatever you can. Hurt us by making uh, a large donation that we have to match. And, uh, you know, I, it's just a great organization. And I think that uh, you'll feel really good about doing it. Help feed folks. Yeah, I know, man. That's a great need. And uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that our last charity was uh, Not One More Vet, an organization that helps prevent uh, suicide in veterinarians. And we just donated nearly $1,300 to those guys. Thanks to all of you. So thanks for your help. And please jump in here on the World Central Kitchen. Yeah, and I'll also toss in a, a word for the veterinarians out there because uh, – as Denny knows, and anybody who's been following me on Facebook probably has figured out I've been going through some vet problems myself recently. And we gave our vet and his staff some flowers and some cookies just before Christmas for taking care of one of our dogs so well. And when we talked to them, they were so appreciative because I guess they just don't get a lot of love from uh, pet owners just because of the stress and the strain. So make sure you give your vet a little love, too. Yeah, right. And we're certainly doing that with our donation. Okay, I guess it's time to move on, huh? Yes, and that means it's time for your feedback. feedback. And we got a couple pieces of feedback today. Uh, first, I just want to put a big old shout out there to everyone to thank you for writing in and thanking us for another year of podcasting. Um, you know, it's always good to get notes from from listeners to say, hey, thanks for what you guys are doing. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. And remember, the end of this thing is almost in sight, so stay safe, and we'll see you at the brewery sometime soon. Or sometime. And then our first piece of feedback is from Joshua Weber regarding uh, Pearl Brewing. And he wrote in to say, listening to episode 124 while cleaning my brew equipment, I cannot believe about Shelton Brothers. That's a real bummer. Anyway, Denny asked about Pearl being owned by Pabst. It is indeed owned by Pabst as of 1985. Unfortunately, it is only available in Texas and Oklahoma. They are trying to revitalize the brand like they did with Stroh's, Schlitz, and Hams. I guess in hipster circles, grandpa brands are the new chic thing, especially since Paps is now popular again. Anyway, I am rambling, and if a wife finds me on Facebook and not clean, she'll make me go to bed. So. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I, totally get it, I totally get it, and it's interesting. I had forgotten that Pearl was owned by Paps, but it doesn't surprise me because... Yeah, Paps really does own, I think, almost all those old grandpa brands. So here we are. And then our second piece of feedback comes from Mark Winters regarding the ongoing saga of the floating dip tubes. I ask a question, the next thing I know, it goes on. Um, Mark writes in and says, I want to provide my feedback on the use for floating dip tubes. I brew three and a half gallon batches and ferment in five gallon corny kegs. I have started to include my clear beer floating dip tubes into the fermenter, which allows me to transfer my finished beer off the yeast and tube post-cold crash. The firm Zilla also uses a floating dip tube setup. 
I find the system perfect for transferring off of heavily hopped beer. So there you go. This, this is taken from the fermentation side, which I think is interesting. So, you know, I mean, again, give a homebrewer a tool and they'll find about five different ways to use it. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, we've also heard from somebody who didn't quite think so much of the uh, floating dip tube. So we'll get into that next time around. Yep. And then our last piece of feedback for today comes from Frederick Thomas uh, regarding uh, the whole idea of drinking stronger. You may remember in the last episode we had talked about uh, apparently sales trends are showing that everybody's supping down on double IPAs. He writes in and says, I wanted to reply to your question about stronger brews. Big affirmative. I went from IPAs and brown ales to, beginning with COVID, Imperial Stouts, Belgian Golden Strongs, coming in over 9%, and an upcoming beer to guard. Like y'all, I very rarely get beers of this octane when I'm in breweries, Oscar Blues 1050 being a notable exception. So I suppose I was unwittingly part of the trend. Psychology, meet brewing. Brewing, please meet psychology. <laughs> Great. And uh, Frederick's also part of the Beer Book Club that we talked about before in the past on Facebook. Uh, you should, If you haven't gone and tried to get involved in that, you probably should. I know they have uh, John Palmer, Lars, and a few other uh, notable authors coming up to talk about their books and get a chance to ask a lot of questions. So go join them over there on Facebook on the Beer Book Club. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great group of people. And if you're into beer books and you want to talk about them and uh, get a chance to ask some questions from the authors, definitely go join the Beer Book Club group on Facebook. Uh, I, I don't think you'll you'll regret doing that. There you go. And now I think it's time for a beer. It is indeed time for a beer. We're going to head over to the Experimental Brewing Pub, and we'll meet you there in just a minute. Please stay around. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned global hop supplier located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family farms to the world's finest brewers. With their new online store, YCH products are now available wherever brewers choose to shop. Browse the aisles of your local homebrew store or buy direct from YCH at shop.yakimachief.com. Also, experience the new YCH Mobile Solutions app, a free, sustainable alternative to the popular hop variety handbook with information on more than 120 hop varieties to help you make the best beer possible. Available now in the Apple Store or at Google Play. From the Malt Innovation Center, Great Western Malting has released two new products. The first is Biscuit Rye, perfect for your next brewing or distilling experiment. It strikes a pleasant balance between toasted biscuit-forward flavors and classic rye spice. The second is Light Munich, a long-requested iteration of their popular traditional Munich, which brings some sweet malty complexity and a hint of copper color to your next recipe. Look for it at your local homebrew store and request it if they haven't stocked up yet. Welcome back. 
We are sitting here in the experimental virtual pub somewhere in cyberspace, and we're having a couple beers, and uh, Drew is drinking one that I got a chance to try also, and it's uh, unusual. It's interesting, and that's part of the reason why I included it in here. So a couple of weeks back, we did a talk with, it was uh, uh, the Homebrew Club in Cincinnati. The Cincinnati Malt Infusers. There you go. Yes, CMI. And they sent along some beer, but unfortunately, my beer got here too late because FedEx lost it somewhere. Um, but in the in the collection of beers were a couple of really great beers in there. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I think it was Rheingeist uh, Dad IPA. But the one that they included mostly to torture Denny and to amuse me was the Urban Artifact Christmas Pickle, which was a pickle-flavored goes-style ale. Like four and a half percent alcohol, flavored with dill and all that sort of good stuff. All the flavors you'd expect from a, a pickle. And I'm, of course, highly amused by that sort of stuff, but I'm also generally trepidatious because a lot of places can't do it correctly. And I'm, I was pleasantly surprised that the Christmas pickle actually tasted pretty good. Now, I drank the, I drank the whole pint of it that I got. Now, would I go immediately for another pint of it? No, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't reject it out of hand. I mean, I. But it was an interesting experiment to see somebody do a pickle goes that didn't taste too sour. It wasn't overly salty, which is one of my big problems with a lot of American goes's, and actually sort of subtly played in the flavors of that pickle stuff. So yeah, I I agree, man. Uh, I didn't manage to finish the whole thing like you did. Uh, I didn't really like it, but I really appreciated uh, how well it was done. Yeah, and sometimes that's all you need. So I thought that was amusing to me because it's a beer that has a lot of potential downsides, and I thought that was actually well executed. So kudos to Urban Artifact. And again, that's the Christmas pickle, uh, which if you have any sort of German uh, family heritage in your family, you'll know exactly what tradition that's referencing. And if you don't, go look it up. It's funny. (laughs) Yeah. And Mr. Den, what you got? Well, uh, I went back to my old standby ale song again. Uh, I have a tradition on Christmas Eve. I sit down kind of like mid-afternoon and uh, drink a, a strong malty beer, sip it for a few hours. And uh, this Christmas Eve, uh, it was it was cold. It was pouring rain. So I broke into an ale song, Rackhouse Reserve, which is uh, a, a strong malty ale that's aged in bourbon barrels. Uh, there is just a touch of smoke to it from somewhere. I guess that's maybe part of the rack house part. Uh, it's not, not real noticeable. You kind of have to convince yourself it's there, but it is a delicious beer. Uh, it's 12 and a half percent. So it is a sipper for sure. There's just no doubt about that. But, uh, like all ale song beers, it is extraordinarily well made and delicious. Uh, if uh, you guys want to try to order some ale song beers, uh, go to alesongbrewing.com, see if they'll ship to where you are. Maybe, maybe not. I uh, know they don't ship to California, unfortunately. Yeah, Jerks. right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they do distribute there, so uh, you can, you can find them around. There you go. All right, so let's dig into the news and we'll start with one story that. I guess really has kind of an element of uh, I told you so uh, yeah. attached to it. And, I think that's a good way to do it. Yeah, and so this is a, a, a little nanobrewery outside of Chicago called a Sidelot um, has been ordered by Hershey's 
to pay them, I think it was $8,000? Yeah, $8,8500, something like that. Yeah. And remember, again, uh, the brewery itself is tiny. It's only five years old, and I think it's a barrel, uh, barrel-length barrel brewery. Yeah, I think so. So, real nano. And the problem, what happened was the owners of the brewery ran afoul of Hershey's because they were making beers with Jolly Ranchers and Milk Duds. Now, inherently, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? You can totally do that. But the problem came that they were using the Milk Duds name, the Jolly Ranchers name, and also the logo artwork uh, on the beer as they were selling it. And so that's a big no-no. And particularly for a company like Hershey's, which now has that beer relationship with Yingling, uh, really fires up all the trademark attorneys. So yeah. in this particular, uh, this particular case, he not only got the cease and desist that a lot of breweries have gotten in the past, but then he also got essentially a demand to turn over the profits that he'd made from the beer, or uh, I think just actually the proceeds from the beer. Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and when he got the cease and desist, he immediately dumped the beer and stopped uh, making it and, and talking about it. Uh, but then he got the letter from Hershey's afterwards saying, you owe us the $8,000 that you got from selling this beer. Now, I think we can all agree that that's a real drag. You know, he's a small brewery. He doesn't have the money to do it. It's a real shame. Well, and particularly in a year like this where everybody's sales are impacted, etc. Yeah, but you know what? It's his own damn fault. Um, as you know, you can't just say, look, we're a brewery. We're fun. We're good guys. We're small guys. Take it easy on us. It's a business. And he's really made a mistake by not doing some research first before making these beers with those candies and starting to advertise them. Um, he should have expected something like this to happen. And so, although I feel very bad for him having to uh, deal with this, I really can't say it's anybody's fault, but his own. Well, and I think the, the real place that he ran into. So, I mean, a lot of breweries out there have gotten season, season desist for, various pieces of IP infringement. We've talked about that in the past. Um, I think where he ran into uh, into the, the real sort of uh, uh, lawnmower to the face aspect of this, with that 8,500 that they were asking for, is because of that relationship with Yingling, Hershey's has even more reason to defend the value of their trademark, right? You have to defend trademarks. That's the way it works. It's a very adversarial system here in the U.S., and so they already would have had to defend it, and they could have argued that the cease and desist would do it. I suspect that because they have that beer relationship with Yangling, it adds extra punch to how much they have to defend it, lest they lose value from the, uh, their ability to license it. Right, right? and let's, let's be very specific that we don't know that for a fact, uh, but no. it's, it's an interesting supposition. Yeah, I am perfectly happy to pull things out of my butt when I think that they might be right. <laughs> If you think I'm going to reply to that, man, no way. <laughs> you just did. All right. And so from that, let's go on to uh, with some cask mild. I like this. Yeah, man. So there's a there's a little brewery in Ambler, Pennsylvania. I, if you know where Ambler is, then you're way ahead of me. But they have started doing curbside pickup of their beer, which is great, which a lot of people have done. So they started doing a five liter bag in a box cask mild at three and a half percent. And man, let me tell you, if I lived anywhere nearby there, I would be so all over this. 
And I really hope it's a trend that continues. Uh, for some reason, it, I don't, I'm kind of astounded nobody had thought about putting cask style beers into a bag in a box situation before. Well, I know people have tried to do the uh, bag in a box for beer, but of course the carbonation is always an issue. And so, yeah, doing it with cask is perfect. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. And what I like is, so it's five liters of beer, so that's what, a little over 10 US pints? Something like um, that. And it, $35 for the for the box. And, you know, so that's $3.5, uh, $3.5 for every pint that you have. So I think that's perfectly reasonable for a nice glass of cask mild. Yeah, and again, I just hope that this is a trend that that picks up. Uh, you know, cask beers are not tremendously popular, but uh, there are a lot of people who like them. And what better way could there be to uh, get beer to go, uh, a cask beer to go, than a bag in a box? I like it. Let's do more of it. And so, yeah, you can go to Forest and Maine. I don't know if they still have it available for uh, pre-order, uh, but I would watch them to see if they're going to continue doing something like that. And Hopefully that encourages others. Um, now, the n- next story that we have to cover is actually more distillery related, but you guys will remember that early on during this whole uh, lockdown and pandemic cycle, while everybody was trying to figure out, uh, oh, we need more hand sanitizer, a bunch of distilleries, particularly small distilleries around the, the country, jumped up and started making hand sanitizer using the FDA-approved formula of X amount of ethanol mixed in with so much eth- uh, aloe, I think it is, yeah, aloe. Uh, to make a perfectly serviceable hand sanitizer that does the job. And, of course, a lot of these places were doing it either for low or no cost and just sort of jumped in and did their part, right? Pulled together like the, like we we like to think about. And that's all well and good, except for due to the way that federal laws are written and the way the FDA is structured, they all got a nasty surprise at the end of the year, which was that the FDA came to them and said, Okay, great. Thank you for doing your part. Uh, now you owe us $14,000 for producing over-the-counter uh, medicines or over-the-counter products uh, that require our certification. Um, now, as you can imagine, for a lot of craft distilleries, suddenly getting hit with a $14,000 fee is not something that they were planning on or expecting. <laughs> Especially when all they're trying to do is help out. Right. And so... That got put out there. Suddenly there was a big hue and cry. And I think within a day, the head of the Health and Human Services, right, um, which oversees the FDA, basically nixed the fee. And so suddenly none of these distilleries had to pay the fee. Now, before anybody wants to get too shirty about this and, you know, rabble, 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 when you go and you actually read about how all this works, that's exactly how it's supposed to work. Because the FDA is partially funded by those fees. They get about half their money from the federal budget, and the other half comes from these fees, which, of course, are normally paid for by, like, a pharmaceutical company or something like that, to whom a $14,000 fee is like, okay, that's the cost of doing business. Uh, and the only way that fee can get overridden is by either direct action of the FDA head or the Health and Human Services head or an act of Congress. So this was how that situation was going to play out. I think the problem was just nobody went to the distillers and said, hold on, you're going to get a letter. Give us a moment. <laughs> yeah, really, man. <laughs> so, uh, and speaking of uh, dist- distilleries and beer bars and beer businesses needing help, Denny, you want to cover this one? From what we've been hearing, there are uh, beer businesses asking people not to participate in dry January because they need the business. Now, I, I don't know how much dry January really impacts uh, a brewery's business. 
Uh, I've never participated in it because I'm not like into fad diets and that kind of stuff. I would rather just make a change and do what I do. But uh, at any rate, it's uh, it's kind of amusing that uh, that dry January has become such a thing, and that it looks like the maybe breweries want people to abstain from abstaining, so uh, it will boost their business. <laughs> Please buy a beer. <laughs> you know, maybe, yeah. maybe just go maybe just go buy a, a couple four packs of beer and hold them in your fridge until February. Um, yeah, but that, I thought that one was funny. And then the last one, actually speaking of something that you can buy at the end of January for February, is Russian River announced the details of, or I guess really the preliminary details, not the full details, of their Plenty of the Younger release this year. So remember, Plenty of the Younger is Russian River's triple IPA, the bigger version of Plenty of the Elder. And what they've been doing for years now is it's become kind of a big hype release. People lining up and actually getting like, you know, in line at the Russian River Brewery and the brew pub to go and get beers on the bar and last year bottles to take home. And that's well and good. And like all they give it out to special accounts across the country. So like Monk's Cafe in Philadelphia, the stuffed sandwich down here in San Gabriel, which is actually that that was the last big beer thing I did before the lockdown started, which was wow. Um, and so that's the the norm, right? That's what people expect. Well, this year, of course, they're not going to be able to do that. They're only brewing a third of what they did last year for Plenty of the Younger. All of it is going to be bottled, and it's only going to be for sale online. Russian River is only selling beer for delivery in the state of California, right? Which means I can order it, but then he can't. Um, <laughs> oh, darn. Yep. And so I think that they were estimating that the cost of a case was going to be somewhere around $129 with the shipping and whatnot, which before you get your hopes up about that, the cases are actually going to be a mixed case. And each case is going to contain four bottles of Plenty of the Younger. So, and then the other, the other bottles will all be other beers that they know and love that are like sort of highlights. So I would assume that, for instance, you'll probably have like Plenty of the Elder in there, because a very popular thing for a lot of people to do when Younger's released is have an Elder and a Younger side-by-side, side, which is a daunting task, but people do it anyway. And so they're going to put all that details up, and people here in California are going, yay, please. So I will be getting some to share with my friends, but if you're if you're looking, watch Russian River's uh, emails, watch their their social media on Facebook, for instance, and they're going to announce when the sales are going to go online. And, uh, yeah, you'll be able to get plenty younger without having to wait in line. <laughs> well, I guess that that's a good thing because I, I don't wait in line for beers. I know. Younger is like literally the only thing I do. In the, and the primary reason I do it is just so I can support Marlene Don't Sandwich because you know me. Uh, that's right. Well, you know what, man? I'm, I'm all for that. There you go. All right. Let's get the heck out of here. Let's go do some brewing. Okay, we're going to run over to the brewery. Uh, we may not be brewing, but we're going to be talking brewing stuff. So stick around. We're going to be right back. A new year 
brings new opportunities during our favorite winter months. Whether you're looking to hone your brewing skills, try new brewing techniques, or simply find the right après ski beer, the Y-East Quarter 1 2021 Private Collection features European lager strains ideal for different skills, styles, and occasions. For light-bodied lagers and pilsners, you'll enjoy working with the 2001 Pilsner Urkel H strain and 2042 Danish lager. Beers crafted from these strains pair well with lighter food and are refreshing after a long day of skiing. For brewers looking to craft beers that fill the belly and warm the heart, reach for 2352 Munich Lager. This strain can produce medium-bodied lagers for pairing with hearty meals and seasonal spices. Say farewell to 2020 and hello to 2021 with the feel and flavors of the Winter Lager Beer Private Collection. Find out more about which styles pair best with these strains at yeastlab.com. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of Historical Brewing Techniques, the lost art of farmhouse brewing. Purchase your copy of Historical Brewing Techniques at brewerspublications.com. Welcome to the brewery. We're sitting here surrounded by stainless steel and all that other kind of good brewing stuff. And uh, Drew has some info about uh, Escarpment Labs. Right. So Escarpment Labs, who are our friends up in Ontario, who are doing a lot of different sort of yeast culturing. So not just the standard yeast that we know. They're one of the ones who have been doing a lot of uh, quite stuff. They also have a lot of different mixed cultures. The problem, of course, is they're in Ontario, and you know, for those of us who are here in the U.S., that means uh, getting a biological product like that across the border costs more time and more money, and so it's always kind of been a little hard to get your hands on the stuff here, at least if you're not, if you're not happy about paying an extra cost. Well, they've apparently now partnered with a group in Ohio, Sonata Beer Labs, which is actually going to be offering Escarpment Labs strains here in the U.S., so... Their website is going online right now, sonatabeerlabs.com, S-O-N-A-T-A, Beer Labs. And they have available, it looks like, 18 different strains from Escarpment. And so it's just a good start. And if you want to be able to play with those those very Canadian yeasts, this is your way to be able to get in on it. Yeah, I mean, and these guys really, really know their stuff. Uh, if you're looking for some unusual uh, strains, check them out. So again, sonatabeerlabs.com, brand new, uh, brand new uh, set of yeast for you to use. And I don't know about you, Denny, uh, but for Christmas this year, I got some interesting beer stuff. People who have been paying attention to my feeds probably know exactly what I'm talking about. And I've had for 15, 16, 17 years, I've had a sign from a defunct Midwest brewery called Drewries hanging in my 
in my different workspaces. And, you know, my plan was always to take the Drew Reese logo and sort of cover up the R and the Y and put like a fake apostrophe there. So it says Drew's beer, for instance. Um, and the other week, well, actually about two months now, time flies. Um, my wife pointed out that I, I just hung up the sign in the brewery and she's like, Oh my God, it's not a brewery. It's a Drury. Ah, ah, ah. That's worse than my jokes. Hey, and you know what? I'm actually ashamed. I didn't realize that. Right. Like I like actual feelings of shame. <laughs> and so my wife and uh, went on a Christmas shopping spree and I now have four Drury signs, uh, lighted signs hanging up here in the brewery along with a, a couple of other pieces of Drury's artwork. So kind of interesting, kind of funny and it plays right back into what we were talking about before with the, the granddad beers. As far as I know, Drury's is not actually owned by anybody. Now there was a company that was trying to resurrect uh, Drury's in South Bend. And I don't know where they're at in terms of what they were doing, but it was originally a Canadian brewery that moved to the U S after prohibition. And here we are. I now have funny old signs hanging up in the brewery. So yay me. <laughs> yay you. I, I think the only sign I have in my brewery is a uh, lighted Sierra Nevada pale ale sign. And that seems somewhat appropriate for you. Yeah. And then the other piece of uh, new brewing gadge that I got uh, for this year was I finally decided to go in and, and get one of those uh, tilts, you know, not because I, I feel a raging need to know what's going on with the beer at all, all times, but it's a place where I wanted to do some exploration, see what you could see, see what, uh, you know, the shortcomings and the, the high sides are uh, for these particular gadgets. And so I decided to actually go for a full builder's project here. I don't only have the tilt, but I have a Raspberry Pi now. I'm going to hook it up to a TV and actually make it so that it does the full display of the information going on in the tilt at the moment. Just to, just to have a little fun, just to you know, be a little more high-tech and snazzy, I think. Uh, but mostly, I think, also just to take up a little time and you know, make something gee whiz. So one of the things I would like to know is from anybody out there who's had a tilt or who has a tilt or more, what do you, what do you think? What shortcomings have you seen? What should I watch out for? I know already that these are, these are going to go into the stainless steel conicals. And so I, I've been reading that you do have to keep your sort of your repeater right next to the, the conicals in order to be able to pick up the information and send it out to Google Sheets. Um, anything else I should know? Let me know. Podcast at experimentalbrew.com or if you just want to send it to me, drew at experimentalbrew.com. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're wasting your money on that stuff so I don't have to. Oh, come on. It's fun. Um, <laughs> if you say so. Well, I mean, what's the last thing that you felt like you wasted money on? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. It's been so long since I bought anything. I see. Well, I know. I have to go buy a bucket, so I know that's happening. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, me too. I'm fortunately I have a bunch, but and as always, we have some brewers resolutions. But I think that they're pretty much uh, quick and straightforward this year, huh? Yep. I think after uh, last year's uh, drink 'em up fest, and also what we were talking about earlier, where everybody was drinking stronger, uh, I want to do uh, actually I want to do both more session beers, but I also want to try and do both more session beers that express more hot character. So taking some of the techniques that we've learned over the past year. Yeah, try and get something that pushes out like a real actual good session IPA or session pale ale type flavor with a lot of hop in it. Um, and I also think I want to try and figure out a good 
alternatively flavored session beer. So, because I have my mild, I have a couple of others, but I try and figure out like something fun as well to do with session beer. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great. For me, uh, my resolution is to take brewing even less seriously than I do right now. Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean I don't care about it or that I don't want to make good beer or anything like that. But I want it to stay fun and, and low key and not take over my life like it did for 20 years. Uh, you know, I think that I'm kind of over identifying as a home brewer and I'm ready to just have it become a part of my life. Uh, is that a lot to do that by law? Well, I think so. Although, you know, when you mention it to a lot of people, they're kind of like surprised, but, uh, you know, I just, I just want it to just be homebrewing again. Fine. If you want to be that way. So those are our real quick, simple brew years resolutions. What are you guys out there planning on doing? You know, is there something that we haven't mentioned here? I mean, granted, our list was really short this year, but I know some of you guys are out there thinking about what you're going to do for brewing. So let us know. Podcast at experimentalbrew.com. So now that we've uh, gone through everything here in the brewery, let's uh, make use of what the brewery does and move over to the lounge and try some beers. Woohoo! Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. Hey everybody, welcome back and welcome to the lounge where we are lounging with some beers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Drew had sent me some beers. Uh, he was, as usual, uh, extremely timely in getting them to me. Uh, one of one of them is only six months old, so you know. Uh, yes, but six months old stored very very cold the whole time. So. Yep, and and canned, so, you know, we'll see. But we're going to start here with uh, one that you found from Russian River that sounds really interesting. Right, so I talked about this before on the podcast. Russian River last year had done a whole lineup of, or a whole run of different 
editions of a beer called Plenty for President, which they've done a couple times now. And it's basically it's a double dry hopped version of Plenty of the Elder. And last year they announced the last batch of it was being brewed and released uh, at the very, very end of October. So just before the presidential election. And um, I went and I got it. And this was how fresh it was. This can was canned on October 31st. I had this in my hands on November 1st. So it was a one day old wow. can. Of, yeah. Um, and then it took a while for me to get to Denny and it took a while for us to get to the point where we could drink it together. But <laughs> this is, this is very interesting. I, I want to see Denny. How well do you know the regular uh, playing the elder? Uh, not very well. Had it a few times, but I'm not super familiar with it. All right. Well, I can walk you through it. So here, let's go ahead and let's do some of this, huh? Okay. Let's do it. First thing I'm noticing is like the second you open the can, even here at the two month mark, you still got hops coming, uh, coming up the top of that thing. Um, and again, so this is plenty, uh, plenty for president and it is 8% alcohol. This is a double IPA after all. But one of the things I've always noted about plenty, the, the elder that I like the most. And yeah, by the way, it's plenty, not plenty. Um, is it is brilliantly clear for something as heavily dry hopped as it is. And also remarkably pale. Yeah, it really is. Uh, do you know if they use any kind of crystal or anything like that in it? I'm trying to remember. Uh, in the homebrew version recipes I've seen before provided by Vinny. So the old recipe for the uh, for regular Planet of the Elder as provided to the HA, and I know it's drifted over time, is a mixture of two-row C45 carapils and corn sugar. And then the, the hopping was uh, Columbus, Columbus, Simcoe, Centennial, Simcoe, Columbus, and Centennial, and Simcoe and Columbus, Centennial, Simcoe. So I think that's exactly where you're getting your cattiness from. I believe they've moved Elder as well as Younger over to Hop Extract uh, for bittering. I believe that you're right. I think I've heard that too. Mm. And, you know, the thing I love about Plenty as a beer is it is dry. It is not sweet in the finish it packs a punch the normal version of play this has a this has a very top heavy aromatic to it so it certainly it's does yeah it's you, i'm getting some grassiness are you getting that a little bit but i mean again double dry hops so a lot of a lot of dry hops in this and the big thing i always get about it is i get a rich mouth feel from the hops with a nice bitter bite to it but the thing about the bitterness to it is it's not it's not actually surprisingly aggressive for how bitter it is. Like right. I don't I don't feel the enamel on my teeth being stripped off or being coated with stuff from the hops here in Plenty of the, Plenty of the Elder. You know, and the uh, the hop character is much more herbal than is uh, in vogue these days, you know, with all the real fruity tropical hops. Uh, this just has none of that whatsoever. I mean, they may use those hops, but the character doesn't come through, at least not in this can that I've got. Uh, but it, it's really good. It's, it's right up my alley for what I like in an IPA. Well, and this, uh, so this is one of those things I know a lot of people out there who, because of, the scarcity of playing the elder when they have it, they get disappointed by, right? You know, that it doesn't live up to the hype. Uh, I don't think this is a beer that people should feel hype value to. To me, this is like, 
if I'm having a double IPA, this is what I want it to be. Right? I want clean, firm bitterness. I want a lot of hop character to it. I want a dry finish to it. You can play around with a lot of different flavors, but like so many double IPAs that you have, they still, even though people have moved away from the high IBU wars, you know, they were either, you know, as much bitterness as we can get, or nowadays as much hop oil as we can get, right? Which has a, a, a different effect on your tongue. To me, this, this is actually just, I mean, I could drink this far faster than I should. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, and just really enjoy it the whole time. Now, I remember I said that the planning for president is a sort of an election year project that Russian River's done. Uh, from what I have heard, this was incredibly popular as a, as a beer to do. And so it will probably be coming back before too long. That would be, I mean, that would be great. It'd be nice if they didn't have to wait another four years to do it again. I know, right? So, and again, I'm, I'm still amazed. Even though this is now uh, two months old, I mean, the, the hop aroma on this is still a beast. Yeah. It, I mean, it really is. Uh, it's, it's a very good beer. Like I said, this is the kind of IPA that is right up my alley. Now, the thing I'm wondering, because I've, I've, I've done double dry hopping before in the past, but I haven't done it for like, I don't know, 15 years. Um, maybe 10. I really wonder, and I think maybe this is something I should do next year. If I did two batches of IPAs and I said, put two ounces of hops and one is dry hop and did two additions of one ounces in another one, would I be able to tell a difference? I can tell you that a lot of the recent research that we've been quoting lately says that uh, double dry hopping just is not worth it. Uh, you don't get anything more out of that than you do anything else. Um, I'm, I am simply quoting the research that I've read. I have not done any comparisons myself, so maybe you should. Um, so let, let me ask you, Danny. If I'm trying to remember, I think these cost me either five or six bucks a can, and these are right? like pint cans. Would this be a beer that you'd be happy to have again? Oh, Would yeah. You buy- would oh, you yeah. buy this for yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe not every day because I don't drink strong beers every day, but um, it's definitely something I would like to drink again. There you go. And and again, if folks have to remember, the other thing about uh, Elder is I think Elder in a lot of ways set the hallmark for what a true West Coast style double IPA is. You know, with the, that bare minimum crystal, the sugar additions. As opposed to what was going on at the time, which was like on the East Coast, there were a lot of like big, heavy, red, multi-IPAs that were being called double IPAs that were just almost essentially barley wines with souped up hop levels. You know? And so to me, this is still in both its classic form and in here in the double dry hop form, this is still the exemplar of when somebody says double IPA, this is what I want. Yeah, you know, I would have to think about if there's another one that uh... – that I would like better, but because I can't come up with anything right off the top of my head, I would have to say that this is it. That may also be an example of recency bias. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably is. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I, if I was looking at a whole row of uh, beer names, I might be able to think of another one, but uh, damn, I like this. Oh, you know what? I would say that some of the Ailsong Block 15 collaborations would be right up there with this also. But Well, so you remember we had, uh, what was it, uh, Sticky Hands in the past? Yeah. Uh, from Block 15. Right. And, like, to me, Sticky Hands is much more resinous. Yep, very much so, which is why it's called Sticky Hands. Right. 
And so, I mean, that one's much more resinous and this one's in that, uh, a drier, bitter, uh, thing. yeah, yeah. And I think, I think the sugar in it makes a huge, huge difference. And I'm, uh, I'm always a big fan of sugar and beers when you want to like dry them out and make them easy to drink. Right. Yeah. Uh, substitute some of your gravity with sugar, lose the body. <laughs> yep. So, uh, for our next beer, it's one that I've been looking forward to tasting for a long time, except that. It took Drew a while to get it in the mail up to me. Yeah. Rule, uh, rule of thumb, nobody should ever trust me to ship anything out, even though I live right near a mailing center. <laughs> yeah, really, man. I'm I'm like 30 miles away, and I'm more reliable than you are. And you know they get pickup, too. Yes, I, I, I've come to realize this now. <laughs> so anyway, this one is a homebrew. Uh, that was sent to us by a good friend, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself because otherwise I'm going to screw up pronunciation of your name. Oh, yeah. So, um, Graciani Miranda, um, home brewer from Claremont, Florida. Um, been brewing since 2015. And um, the first time I was in this podcast, actually, I was at NAC and I was vice president of the Bruce Anonymous Homebrew Club. Um, we actually took uh, Florida Homebrew Club of the Year last year, so that that's awesome. But I'm no longer VP, so. <laughs> well, that those are both good things, man. Uh, you, you took Club of the Year, and now you have no responsibilities. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and, and just to just to set the context, this beer, it, I mean, this is your triple IPA, right? And this one came out at twelve percent. Right. So this is a big mammer jammer. Uh, and as Denny had alluded to, you brewed this all the way back in May. You got into my hand shortly after you were done with it. And then I just sat on it with it. it now in my defense, buried deep in my chest freezer. So ice cold the entire time, at least. I hope it's still good, man. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we'll find out in a couple minutes here. And it's like, I know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of the afternoon after we finish this, if this sucker's 12%. Yeah. I think it's called a nap. Um, <laughs> it's no, it's going to be like uh, slowly sipping the rest of it. Saying, tell, uh, tell us about your history with triple IPA. You know, like, is, is this something that you make on the regular? I, I do it at least once a year. Um, I, I, I really like this recipe. I'll probably do it again this year. The other one that I like to brew, I think I've done it twice now. It's a, it's an attempt at, um, hop slam. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's also like 10, 12%. It's, 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 um, I mean, you don't feel the alcohol. Of course, the first few weeks after you brew it, it's, it's they're pretty potent. But after a few weeks, it just they're so good to have after a crappy day at work. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, and this past year, they've all been crappy days at work. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, and I don't I don't work, but I have a lot of crappy days anyway. So that's good <laughs> enough for me. So let's uh, let's walk through this because uh, I mean, you're you're an IPA fiend. I, I swear, I think half the the social media pictures I see from you are. You know, some hazy IPA or some other IPA that you've brewed. So um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. But walk us through the beer as uh, Denny and I uh, get into it, shall we? So yeah. this is um, this one is the second attempt at Pliny the, the Younger. Um, I believe this one was a Northern Brewer kit that I've been after, but it sells out so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally was able to get it um it uses a lot of hop extract hop hop shot i don't know if you have ever used it but it's it's really messy <clears throat> um i believe in um an older episode you have a guy from your club that brews it every year yep 
Yeah, uh, Craig Chaplin, he actually brews it like every three months. Oh, damn. Okay. So, yeah, and I think he uses um, Everclear for the hop extract. Yes, he does. Um, yeah, I don't. So what I what I found out, and I think it was by mistake, actually, is um, I take the hop, you know, it's a syringe, and um, I just put it in the hot mash when I'm starting the boil. Hmm. And by the time I have a boil going, it's super liquefied, and I just add it, and it dissolves perfectly. So you just um, you you chuck the the whole syringe and everything into the mash done while everything's hanging out. Yep, I put um this one uses 15 ml, so that's three syringes, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just dunk them all three of them in the hot mash, and by the time I have a boil going, um, it's already very liquefied and super easy to dissolve. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's another handy way to do it. And so if I'm looking through the notes here that you sent me, you've got 20 pounds of pale malt. Uh, three quarters of a pound of carapils and a half a pound of kerosene, um, which is interesting because like, okay, the pale and the carapils, I would totally expect looking at that, that bill. I mean, it, it's actually, it ties perfectly in with the plenty of the elder that we just had or the plenty for president, because other than the kerosene, it's that same sort of structure. What do you think the kerosene gives the beer? Um, you know what? I'm not hundred percent sure those, those malts that say that they add foam or whatever, actually add foam or whatever. I'm not, um. I'm not even sure it does much besides color. I agree with you, man. Um, based on a great article I read by Chris Colby, one of the main uh, things that promotes foam is fermentation characteristics. And uh, grains will not necessarily do a lot for you. So I think I think color and, uh, and flavor is pretty much what you get. Uh, and then you go into a step mash where you're starting really low, so 148, trying to get that maximum f- fermentation. 156 for 15 minutes. Do you do you have a, a reason behind that? Is that just to sort of liquefy everything? Well, I I, I bought a rims, mm-hmm. so I have to use it. So I step mash everything. <laughs> that's like that's like us with our grandfathers, man. It, it's like you know uh, we don't really feel like step mashes do a lot of good, but we can do them, so we do. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I just recirculate throughout the whole mash, and um, yeah, I step mash everything. Well, and so yeah. what's what's the the rationale that you've built up into your head other than I own a rims to justify doing the the extra time? Well, I really wanted just to recirculate because of clarity. Mm-hmm. It, it does make the 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 word that goes into the kettle a lot um, clearer. Yeah. Um, at least that um, I'm pretty sure it's a fact. Um, but then if you recirculate without a rims, um, you're going to lose heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in my case, I have the 20-gallon SS Brutec mash tun. So if I don't fill it to the top, it's going to lose a lot of heat. Right. I mean, a lot, basically three, four degrees maybe. Um, so I just, I just recirculate throughout the whole thing using step mash. Mm-hmm. All right. And then and you do a 90-minute boil, so that's good. Uh, I understand. And so are you doing the, the hop extract for the full 90 minutes of the boil or just this one? Yeah. Okay. So 90 minutes with the hop extract and then the very first actual hop hops to hit the, the thing are actually in the, the, the knockout stage. So you got Simcoe four ounces and two ounces of Centennial at zero minutes. And I think this also plays into some of what we were just talking about, Danny, where a very classical hop character. For an yeah, man, it is. It, it reminds me of the the plenty for president in that regard, uh, because there's not like 
the the tropical fruit that's so popular these days. This is this is no, but this nice one actually. Um, sorry to to correct you. Um, this one actually has more hops in in the bowl. It has twenty minutes, forty five minutes. Ah. Um, and actually, first word um, first word hopping with Amarillo too. Oh, there you go. See, I missed, ah, I missed that in the notes. Right, right. But they, I mean, these are these are good old classic hops. I mean, you know, we're not we're not talking uh, Citra and Mosaic and that kind of stuff. And the hop profile is really nice. Uh, it's definitely a little bit more on the the herbal side than the tropical side. And I really really uh, appreciate that. That's right well, up my alley. And again, that plays into what we were talking about with the plenty for president. You know, again, that sort of more classical herbal plus citrus fruit. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, and so you, you you said you spaced out all these different uh, kettle hops, and we'll we'll make sure we include notes for people. Uh, but then the dry hopping, this also plays into the other part of the discussion that Penny and I are having, because this is actually double dry hopped. So yes. well, you got one addition ten to fourteen days before bottling. You say here of Columbus Centennial and Simcoe, and then a second one four to five days before bottling. With again Columbus, Simcoe, Centennial, and then a dose of Amarillo as well. Um, one of the things that we were talking about with the plan for president was trying to figure out what characteristics, if any, are gained from doing a double dry hop. What do you think? So um, I believe I heard it first from your podcast, and then I have to do a little bit of research saying about um, even even dividing the dry hop by 24 hours can actually increase extraction. Um, like when I do my hazies, um, I usually just dry hop everything at once, even my, my one pounder, because I'm so afraid of oxidation mm-hmm. um, that I'm just afraid to, to do it on separate occasions. Um, with this one, though, um, I think the instructions said it to just divide it. Like I think it actually asked for three different doses, but that's that's too much, I think. Um, so, yeah, so for this one, I, I spaced that out. But usually when I, when I don't do something that I... I'm too afraid of oxidizing. I, I still do. Um, I separate it between two different days because of, of potential for more extraction from, from the hops. Okay. Yeah. And again, with a beer like this, you're trying to, I think everybody's trying to do as much as they can to maximize how much hop material they're actually pulling. Um, so, and then uh, just to put out the other detail there, uh, an original gravity uh, in the notes you sent me, it was 1104. Eleven oh four, yeah. And a final gravity of ten fifteen, which is that's uh, that's pretty good there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. That's that one forty eight rest for fifty minutes. Well, and I think also you used uh, the Imperial A one A O one, which is what House. I think is the uh, that's House, yeah, that's House. And I and I believe House is supposed to be a, a really reliable monster fermenter. So, uh, not to, did you do anything funny with like oxygen additions in order to do that or? Or is that just- I usually do um, when they're ten percent or over. I, I use oxygen. Mm-hmm. Plus, I do. Um, I, I spin for forty-eight hours. You know the starter. Mm-hmm. Um, I decant. Then on brew day, once I start the boil, I collect about eight hundred mL, mm-hmm. cool it down, and do a vitality starter, and then I pitch later that night. Okay. So yeah, you're you're doing. I want to maximize the number of cells I have, and then I want to have the cells awake and raring to go by the time by the time it's time to pitch. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, and I mean, and that, those kind of starters are actually more about the vitality than the than the cell count. Uh, you well, know? I know, but I mean, like the the first the first two day growth, that's that's all about getting the cell count up. 
and then yeah. and then hitting it with the the, the work to just kind of wake right. everything up. Right. Um. So just my notes on tasting this, and again, the caveat being uh, as we're tasting this, this beer has uh, been. When did you can this, by the way? I think I kind of just to send it to you guys. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm not guessing. exactly sure when. I seem to recall it was sometime in June, wasn't it? Probably, yeah. Um, this one, I think I let it ferment for like three weeks. Um, then I kept conditioning it for one or two. Um, it's probably mid-June, I, I think. Okay. And so, knowing that, and how are you doing? Are you doing what, uh, beer can and then into like a October or cannula or something like that? I have, um, I think it's one of the first ones that came out, uh, the manual one oh, that okay. has the wheel, but the, mine doesn't have the wheel. It's more difficult. Right. Are you, you're talking like the big cast iron All-American? Yes, that one. I have that, that one. too. I'm staring at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It's just pretty difficult. Well, yeah, it's, it's it's tricky with the adjustments, which is true for all canning machines. But So you can this up for us. You send it to us. And like I said, I've been keeping this in cold storage now. Obviously, after six months, you'd expect a lot of hop character to fade. And I'm actually pretty happy to report, and Denny, I don't know if it's true for your can as well, but my can still has a lot of hop aroma to it. And I'm also still getting a lot of hop flavor and then a very nice long bitterness in the back end. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting more flavor than aroma, but there is there is nice aroma there too, and it's just held up amazingly well. So uh, you must have done a great job canning this man because it it survived Drew's uh, freezer really well. <laughs> that's good. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I'll also say is, again, you were saying this is like twelve percent. Um, yeah. When I'm first starting to taste it, I mean, the obvious thing I'm getting is all that hot material, like. Even now, I'm like I feel just hop oil all over my gums and my teeth and all that sort of good stuff. Um, and I didn't really get the alcohol at first, and then yeah. and then I stopped. Right I, <laughs> as as I was sitting here talking, I stopped having anything, and now all I can feel is I can feel that warmth creeping up from uh, from the the bottom of my lungs up through uh, up through into my neck. And it's like, oh <laughs> yeah, okay, that's it. That's- that is it exactly, man. I mean, there's no like burn or anything like that from the alcohol, but uh, it it definitely creeps up on you after you've had a few sips, and that's all I've had so far. And it's like I'm sitting here getting happy, and my eyes are crossing. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, man. Uh, given that, I, I mean, this feels uh, like a relatively successful job here. I'm, I'm I'm hoping that you were happy with it. Oh yeah, yeah. So, what would you change the next time through? Um, so I, the, the one thing that I may change is the yeast to one that doesn't drop that much, maybe to have a little bit of higher, um, final gravity, mm-hmm. but that's, that's about it. Um, when it was fresh, it's super resinous. And like I said, it, it's mouth coating. I mean, it's not something you're going to have two or three of, but you know, one, <laughs> no eight way. ounce four a, a day, <laughs> it's just, it, it hits a spot. Well, I mean, look, I, Craig Chapel would probably have one, uh, would have more than one of these per day, but he's a he's a veteran of the triple IPA wars. Um, but no, I mean, yeah. I'll say even here, even now after six months, it's still very resinous. Oh yeah, it, it really is, man. Uh, I think my plan for this afternoon is to uh, put on a Star Wars movie and go through the rest of this. <laughs> All right. Well, and then oh, and we forgot to talk the water. If, uh, I didn't transfer the water notes over here, but. Uh, from what I remember, mostly focused on gypsum and a little bit of Epsom salt and just a tiny, tiny bit of uh, calcium chloride, right? 
this one this one has everything like when i do ipas i i do um arrow water mm-hmm. and then i build from there this one has gypsum lactic acid epsom salt um salt calcium chloride it has it has it all oh you're, you're even adding table salt into this or kosher salt Ah, you do the table salt, man. I know you told me about the kosher salt, but I keep forgetting, so I just do table salt. Well, right. yeah, yeah, I'm guessing not and not a lot because I'm not picking up any ideas. Yeah, no, it's very little, like 0.6 grams. Yeah. Well, and oh, see, yeah, right. and listeners will know that, like for me, adding salt to to the mash water, the beer water at all, is sort of something I never think about because I don't have to worry about that here in L.A. I've already got enough sodium. <laughs> yeah, it, it can really be helpful in, in some particular beers. And, you know, I was just thinking that this is another case of science versus experience. Because, for instance, if you look at the the dry hopping schedule, it just flies in the face of all the recent research uh, where people are saying double dry hopping doesn't do any good. Uh, you should you shouldn't leave hops in for more than 48 hours because they start reabsorbing the oils. But it, it doesn't matter because this beer is fantastic. And so it, it's like no matter what science says, this is the right way to make this beer. I hope so. It wasn't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm guessing now that uh, now that you've had the kit. You can go for, you can go forth and you can make this anytime that you want, right? I mean, the only thing that's special oh, yeah, is yeah. just the, the hop shots, and you can buy that. Well, actually, um, I only use hop shot for for my IPAs. I stopped using pellets for for bittering, mm-hmm. so I always have um, a few syringes in the freezer. So, well, okay, then for your IPAs, do you even use the hop shots when you're doing your hazies? Do you still go for? I I, I do. I, even if it's one ml mm-hmm. at sixty, I always add. Something. Okay. Um, and then, like, how many how many how many IBUs are you normally going for out of your hop extract? Um, like when I do regular IPAs, mm-hmm. I, I I do like four mLs. The problem is that um the the first hop extract that I got, I believe it was fifty nine alpha acids. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't sell that anymore. Yeah. Um, the one that I got now. I believe it's um, – and the old one was also a mix. You didn't know what you were getting. It was a mix of hops. Right. right. The new one, I believe, is Centennial, and it's more like 28, 30-something alpha mm-hmm. acids. I haven't used that one yet, so. Yeah, man, uh, when they were first uh, starting to make these, with, uh, and that's all they had was the blend, they uh, they sent me a bunch to beta test. And I was I was very impressed with it, even as a blend. Uh, but I, you know, I had the typical extract problem of it getting stuck to the kettle. Uh, do you have that issue? The first time I did, I used it, yeah. But like I said, after that, um, I'm not even sure how I came up with the idea of just stucking this syringe in the mash. Um, so you know, the mash is 165, 170 maybe at that time when you're starting to boil. And after five, ten minutes in there, it's just super liquefied. I just uh, adding little by little and um, using the spoon in the kettle, and I, I don't have that problem anymore. But the first time I used it, yeah, it was it was really bad. That, that's a great idea, man, because that's always the biggest pain with using hop extract. Yeah, so I'm I'm happy to hear that. So we now have two techniques for dealing with hop extract madness. You know, really warm it up in your mash tun, or use uh, a strong ethanol solution like Everclear to sort of pre-dissolve it so it gets in and, you know, disperses. So, all right. Well, uh, Denny, any other questions about the, the triple IPA? 
No, uh, I don't think I have any questions. Uh, it's great having the recipe here so I can see what's in it. But Graciani, I just really want to thank you, man, for uh, going to the hassle of canning it up and sending it to us. And I'm glad we finally got a chance to taste it. And I'm really glad it survived so well. So whatever you're doing when you can, it, keep it, keep doing it. It was good. Ah, thank you. Appreciate that. And and by the way, uh, folks out there, if you want us to taste any of your beers and talk to you about them or answer questions or maybe if they're a problem, try and figure out what the problem is, uh, you can always reach out to us at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. We're always happy to do it. Uh, and also, I think today was great because we went basically plenty of the elder to plenty of the younger <laughs> in one shot. <laughs> really? Graciani, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Sure. Thank you, guys. Oh, anytime, anytime, buddy. Take it easy. We're going to take a quick break here, so brewing. stick around. I want to be we'll done be right with that. Not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add Whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Welcome back, and it is time to wrap this show up and get out of here so we can finish up these great beers that we've been tasting today. Mm. So to start off here, we're going to throw out a quick tip, and uh, this is one that comes from our most recent column in Brew Your Own magazine, and the tip is, if you're going to be adding flavorings to your beer, in general, it's good to add them as late in the process as possible, like right before packaging, if you can get away with that. Uh, admittedly, there are a few things, you know, like uh, like herbs and spices that may need to go into the kettle, although a lot of times you can make a tincture or a tisane out of those and uh, toss them in when you bottle or keg the beer. The later you add them, the more flavor and aroma that you'll retain from your flavorings, and also the easier it is to decide on the right amount. If you're throwing things into the kettle or the fermenter, you just have to make a guess and hope that you're right. If you're adding them at packaging time, you can actually taste as you go until you get exactly the right amount. Now, what we like to do is uh, pour a few small samples of the beer right before you package it, you know, two to four ounces. Hit each one with a different but measured amount of whatever flavoring you're going to be using. Taste them. Decide which one is really what you're trying to go for, and then scale that amount up to the batch size. Uh, I, I really prefer that among everything else. Uh, like I said, 
If you're adding them to the fermenter or kettle, it might take you a few tries to get the right amount. But when you add them a package in, you can pretty much nail it the first time every time. Plus, added bonus, if you add things at packaging, you can end up with multiple splits. So you can keep part of the beer normal, and then you can keep another part of the beer flavored. And look, yeah, two beers, one one set of work. Or even a couple different flavorings. Yeah, that's that's really the one of the great things about it. Yeah, I mean, I do this all the time. So I actually do it more often with mead than I do with uh, beer. But a lot of times with mead, I'll make a big batch of something relatively neutral flavored, you know, or something that can serve as a good base palette. And then when I go to package things or make bottles, and sometimes I've even done this at like the late last minute, I'll take wine bottles, I'll put a, a little bit of flavoring in there, fill the bottle, cork it with a temporary cork and take it to like a party. And then that way I can, I can present like, Hey, look, I made you guys a bunch of mead and I present like six different meads and people are like, Ooh, that's so much work. How did you do that? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, and you've got the uh, something other this week, huh? I do, and so we are both unabashed fans of you know British television, and uh, particularly some of the characters that you can find on there. Uh, and my wife is a big fan of home design, furniture design, room design. Um, and we found a program that actually combines both of our interests thanks to one of her friends. And it's a show that's been running for a while now over in the UK, and, but it's only now starting to appear here in the US on HGTV, and it's called Escape to the Chateau. So it's this stars this British couple, uh, Dick Starbridge and his, well, his, his wife Angel, and they buy a sort of abandoned French chateau near, I think, Normandy. For $375,000 US, and it's like a 50-room place. And they've filmed over 27 episodes of them now, going through and renovating this place and turning it into like a wedding venue and a party venue, as well as their house. And it's just kind of fun because not only is it a lot of the silly stuff, I mean, like she's a, she does a lot of like really fanciful design work. He is a retired military engineer. And actually, the, my first reaction when we started watching the show was, hey, that's Major Dick from Junkyard Wars or Scrap Heap Challenge if you're in the UK. Uh, and if you're a uh, young or, well, I guess no longer young, if you're a nerd of my sort of vintage, Scrap Heap Challenge was the pre-Mythbusters thing that got people involved in engineering. And he was a big contestant on that. And actually, I think at one point a host. And so like <laughs> I saw him, I was like, that's Major Dick, who I think retired as a lieutenant colonel. Um, but it is great because it's his engineering know-how her design, they are actually a very lovely couple together. Like even when things are super tense and tight, they're actually still very much in love and very silly with each other, which is a beautiful thing to see. It's just a very pleasant show to be able to watch. So that's Escape to the Chateau. And I know it's streaming now on HGTV. They've only got, I think, as I'm recording this, four episodes. Overall, there's actually like 27 episodes of the show. So we'll see what happens if we get more of it. But it's a very lovely show. Go watch it. Escape to the Chateau. Okay. I have to admit that I uh, skipped Junkyard Wars and all that kind of stuff the first time around because it just didn't look interesting. But uh, you know what? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a look at this. Uh, well, you make it sound like it has possibilities. It, it does. I, do I mean, have... look, at one point they're installing a pneumatically driven lift in one of the one of the pepper pot towers in the Chateau. And actually walking through some of the engineering and how it works. Cool. 
Yeah, th- that does sound kind of interesting. I'll, I'll see if I can find it and check it out. Also, Major Strawbridge is also the reason why I developed this whole theory that your rank in the British military must depend upon your mustache. Because he has an impressive <laughs> walrus mustache. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thank you for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter, uh, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit, and sometimes you can find him on the Slack homebrewing channel. I'm on a whole bunch of different beer forums out there, uh, the AHA discussion forum, the uh, beer garden at the brew house. And, uh, of course, I'm always on the AHA discussion forum. You can find me there. So if you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, or even just rant and rave, you can always email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And of course, you can leave us a voicemail or text at 626-765-1-ALE. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.